okay? All right, come on, let's give Didi the best Passionate Life Church welcome. Come on, Didi, come to the stage. I was told that when I preached in May that I was a little flat. So I need to just liven it up a little, okay? If you guys heard me, no, I'm not. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I am a little clumsy. They told me, here's my spot. And I'm like, ooh, I'm just, this is like just a little dangerous right here. But that's okay. That's okay. So thank you guys for being here. Thank you, Don and Andrew. Oh, my gosh. They just, what a church. To see a gift in someone and call her up. That's, I am so grateful to preach. I am so grateful that this is my home, that you are my family. My sweet stepmom, she um, watched online uh, in, in May. She said, it's so nice you could talk to all your friends. I'm like, I know, it was great. They're all my friends. She's a sweetheart. Okay, um, I am a mom, a grandma of 11, I told you guys in May. Um, and I'm a wife to my lovely husband, Tom, and I'm a therapist. I do trauma, marriage and family. Sometimes marriage and family is trauma therapy, right? You'll see, you'll hear today. Um, so I have a little office, and some of you guys, some of my friends have been there. Um, it's in front of a little house we have in Wheat Ridge, and my daughter and her husband and four children rent the house from us. It's like a little she shed. It's like a little tiny office. So my two little granddaughters love that little office. So any chance they get, they're like, can we play in your seashell? And you know what they play? Therapist, client. <laughs> they do, <laughs> they do. Gigi and Rosie, six and four. So we're in there, it's a sweet little space. And Rosie is kicking back. She is the sweetest little kid, if you met her. She, her name is her. She's just a rosy little person. She's sitting there chillaxing in the chair. She says, when I grow up, I want to be a client. <laughs> I'm like, there's a strong possibility in our family you will be a client, <laughs> just say. So I preached last time on fear, and uh, fear is a bully. And I thought, man, once I was done with that and they asked me to preach again, which, yay, thank you for asking me to preach again, I thought, you know, shame. What do I see every day? And I was just talking to my new friend, Terry, out there, and he said, shame comes against him all of the time. It comes against me. It comes against you. So the talk is, shame, isn't this like we color coordinated? Shame destroyer. And God gave me this acronym years ago, Satan's harassment at my expense. That's true. And next slide. You either destroy shame or it destroys you. Shame is a prison cell and Satan is your cellmate. He's got your ear in there. Has anybody ever sat in their cell with Satan and heard how awful you are? He's ruthless. He's got no boundaries. He will say and do anything to keep you trapped. I love this scripture, John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Here's the solution. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Would you guys pray with me? 
Whew, Father, I just thank you so much for your presence here, Lord. Thank you for the privilege to preach your word today, Lord. It's your word, it's not mine. I really understand my limitations, and I know, Lord, you have no limits. I know, Jesus, you have brought people here. People will be watching this that need to hear the truth about who they are in you and what you have done at the cross to defeat this. So, Lord, we surrender. I surrender myself to you. I pray that eyes and ears would be open. I tell you, Satan, you have to flee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You have no ground in here. I bind you. I silence you. I command you, your spirit of shame, your spirit of fear, your spirit of confusion. I command them all to be gone in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. So, I'm a storyteller, if you remember from me. I love to tell stories. Um, It's the only way I know how to preach. So I can't be like a really good preacher that has all the things in the row. I'm just in me. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, Yeah, hello. Four ways that the enemy comes against us with shame. So I'm going to tell some stories. The first way is family history. So if you think about, some of us were born into shame. We don't even know. Our parents haven't dealt with their shame. Our grandparents didn't deal with it. We are born into shame, and sometimes it hijacks us before we even know. The second way that Satan comes against us is in relationships. So I'm going to give you guys a couple of little vignettes of marriage counseling sessions. You see how fun my job is? Um, and show you how every day as husbands and wives, we unknowingly are shaming each other. So we're going to walk through that a little bit. The other way is past trauma, and that's a no-brainer. When you have had a lot of trauma, the enemy comes hard, hard, hard against you, telling you you are the bad thing that happened to you. You are the bad thing you did. And I'm going to tell a story about that. It's a powerful story that God uh, did some work he did with me in a session with someone. And then the last one is hidden sin. And man, do we all have some of that. And that cripples us. That steals our purpose. That steals our destiny. That burdens our children. So we're going to talk about those things. I'm going to tell some stories. And I am really praying that God has a word for each of you guys. So once upon a time, it was January 2nd, 2016. I remember the day, thank you, time hop, Facebook. I looked back, I was like, when was that? Oh, there it was. So that was Christmas break. My husband, Tom, was hunting, whatever you hunt in January, I don't even know. I forgot to ask. He was hunting. We have a house in the mountains. We invited my son and his wife. Her extended family was in town from Indiana. We invited them all to come up to the mountain house. Here's the thing, those of you who know me very well not known as a cook. Don't like to cook. I know how. It feels like a waste of time. (laughs) Costco has perfectly good meals. Am I right? Tell me I'm not the only one. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So here's the thing. You come up to the mountain house. All of my daughters and daughters-in-laws are lovely cooks. So Melissa, my sweet daughter-in-law, is in the kitchen at the mountain house. And I'm like, I should probably like help her. So she, um, I'm like, is there anything I can do to help? Now she knows I'm not a cook. 
So she says, you know, you can peel some carrots. I'm like, I think I can peel carrots. How hard can that be? So I'm like, do I have a vegetable peeler? Like, how do you have stuff to cook with? So I'm looking through the drawer, brand new, never been used vegetable peeler. Here's Melissa, here's me. Chat, 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 chat. Oh, my gosh. I look down just as a corner of my finger with a purple fingernail is going down the drain. I'm like, oh, 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 oh. Um, stick it under the water. It is bleeding, 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 bleeding. She's like, are you okay? I'm like, oh, fine. No, no worries. No, God, fine. I'm good. Grab a paper towel, wrap the paper towel around it. We have no first aid kit. I know. Isn't that sad? We do now. We do now. I look for some tape. The only tape we have is duct tape. It was red. This is a weird thing. So I've got red duct tape on the paper towel on my finger, telling everybody it's fine, it's okay, carry on. It really hurts. So they're getting dinner ready. I'm like, I should just see if this will come off. Like, you know, it's, I just have to look at it and see. And it was like, oh. So I go into the bathroom, run water on it. Tug, 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 tug. No, no. Fused to the wound. It's not moving. I'm like, oh my gosh, get a little panicky. Call my daughter who has medical training. First thing she says was, mom, non-stick gauze would have been a good idea. I'm like, we don't have a first aid kit. I can't believe you. Okay, stop, stop, stop. Anyway, what do I do? She's like, soak it. It should be fine. Just soak it. So I'm soaking, 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 like a half an hour. She says, you know, if you soak it and it doesn't come off, you're probably going to have to go to the emergency room. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the dumbest injury of all times. So soak it, tug, 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 does not come off. Of course, there's a snowstorm. I ask my son, he's like, you have the wrong kid here to help you. I said, can you just take me to the ER? Fine. Takes me to the ER, little Granby ER. We go in, I've got my duct tape thing, all, you know, whatever, and explain what happened. Nurse takes me back. She's like, oh, honey, we're just going to soak it. It'll be fine. I'm like, um, I already soaked it for like half an hour. She's like, no, no, no. It'll be fine. We'll take care of it. Soak, soak, soak. Tug, tug, tug. Doctor comes in. Yeah, that's not coming off. He's like, I'm going to have to rip it off. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I was like, ooh. Um, I'm like, um, I think I raised my hand. Um, can I have like a shot or something to like numb that? And you know, doctors, no bedside manner. Um, is, look, by the time I give you the shot and numb it and everything, I can just rip it off. I'm like, Okay, that sounds fine. So I look over at my son. He's getting a little pale. I am positive. I'm, I'm pale. He comes over, rips that sucker off. I have had two children with no anesthesia. This is in the top three of pain. I'm like, whoa. He said, whoa, that's quite the bleeder there. Um, well, I don't know. Um, uh, let me get somebody in here to cauterize it. Whoa. I'm like, okay. So in comes, now this guy was the sweetest guy ever, a physician's assistant. Comes in, great bedside manner. He's, I'm standing there like this. He's got his little cauterization, it's chemical cauterization. As he puts it on, it's hissing and turning black. Uh-huh. So he's like, so what do you do? <laughs> I'm a, 
so interesting. What kind of therapy do you do? Trauma! He's like, we will get you fixed right up. Fixes me up. He leaves. My son comes over. Do not associate me with this trauma. I'm like, honey, you're the helper in the trauma. We go home. I call my lovely best friend is in the front row here. I call Jean. Tell her the whole story. Here is what she said. Who let you in the kitchen? (laughs) That is why we are best friends. She understands me. Why do I tell that story? There was something that came up for me. It was really interesting when I thought back on it. I'm like, why did I not just ask for help? Why didn't I just say, hey, I have a really bad cut. I need to go to the ER. When I was little, and I told you guys in May, I have a a mom who's very mentally ill, very unstable. I had a really bad injury when I was probably five or six on a bike. I was riding a bike, and I got a puncture wound from the um, handbrake. And I remember running in the house, and I had blood all going down my leg, and my mom got hysterical and couldn't attend to me. So something in my family history said, you're on your own. You're not going to be taken care of. So that weird thing came back and hijacked me. The other part of this story is, this is what we do when we are hit with something shameful. Let me, I've got a slide. What's the first thing we do? We cover it up. We hide it. We're, we're, uh, we pretend it's not there. Whew, what's the second thing we do? It gets worse, right? If you've got hidden shame, it fuses. It becomes part of you. Then what happens? Oh my gosh, it hurts. The consequences of sin and shame are painful. And then here's the truth. Only the great healer can restore us from shame. Sometimes by fire. I love this word. God, this is Psalm 147.3. He heals the brokenhearted, I love this, and binds up their wounds. Wow. And then Isaiah 41.10, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Thank you, Jesus. So I watch shame play out every day in my office. It's really interesting. And it's in ways you might not expect. So I'm going to share a little piece of a session, and I call this session, How to Pack for Camping. So here's my sweet couple. They come in, they are not sitting together. That is always a sign. They're like this. So I start, you know, who would like to start, you know, what's going on? Is there anything you guys need to process through today? Um, 90% of the time, the wife looks at me, looks at the husband, looks at me, looks at the husband. (laughs) He's like, I'm not going to do it right. You go ahead. Well, we were packing for camping and in the, he's loading up the back of his truck And he's loading, 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 and I watch him load the water on the top 
of everything in the back of the truck. And all I say is, do you think that's a good idea to put the water there? He's like, well, I'm just saying, do you think it's a good idea? Because I'm wondering, it just looks like the water is going to fly off when we are driving to camp. Oh my gosh, there's the guy. I can't do anything right. She has to bitch and complain over every little thing I do. Oh my gosh, I give up. I look over to her, she's like, all I wanted to do was help him. I said to him, what did you hear when she was asking all of those questions? You know what I heard, he said? You're a moron. Cut. Is he a moron? Does she really think he's a moron? I'm asking you ladies, when we do that, do we really think our husband is incompetent? Here's what I told her, and here's what I will share with you guys. Men feel shame when their competence is questioned. Is, can I get an amen from men? Is that true? Yep. The women are going, yep. I'm like, no, no, no. From men, I need to hear from men. Hello, I rest my case. Women are collaborative. So let me explain that. So my lovely friend Jean is in the front row. If Jean and I are packing, she and I do trips together. We have lots of fun together. If she and I are packing and I am loading the water and she thinks, I don't know, is that a good way to load the water? And she asks me that question. You know what I say? I don't know. What do you think? Where would be a, what do you think? We're collaborative. Men, that is weirdly shaming. So I asked the guy in session, I said, if you and your buddy are packing to go up camping and he watches you load the water in a way that feels a little precarious to him, will he say anything to you? He's like, absolutely not. I said, what happens if you're driving to camp and your water flies off? Oh, he'd laugh his head off. He'd be like, you idiot. You moron, you're an idiot. You're a moron. End of story. They buy more water. Do you see the difference? Here's the problem with women. This is in our genes. I am married to a lovely man who grew up in Denver, who is a landscaper, he's retired now, knows the streets of Denver better than any human being I know. When we are driving, there is some part of me that wants to ask him if he's sure this is the right way. I am so bad at directions. I can't even tell you. I'm so bad at directions. I have to literally bite my tongue. What we do, ladies, is when we are trying, we think we're connecting, we think we're helping, we keep saying the same things over and over. He gets really mad or stonewalls us. So one of the things I taught this lovely lady to do, and I'm going to encourage you guys to do this, ask, can I give you some feedback? So simple. And if he's like, no, I've got it, shut up. (laughs) Shut up. Okay? Thank you. I seriously could do like a 10 sermon series on relationships. It is not even funny. Oh my gosh. All right. Here we go. My next session, I call, he said, what? Here's my sweet couple sitting together. 
That's a good sign. They've been working. He's been working through some things. She's like, I really want him to be more expressive. I want him to tell me what I need, uh, what he needs. I really want uh, him to participate more in the marriage. So he's feeling kind of empowered. So I asked my initial question, who would like to start? She looks at him. She looks at me. She looks at him. He says, I'll start. 10% of the people, the male starts. I'm like, good job. He says, well, you know, I've been thinking about, you know, you guys really want me to be more expressive and kind of ask for what I need. And um, so I really, looks lovingly over at her, would love if you would lose about 30 pounds. All the air was sucked out of the room. I was holding my breath. I'm like, whoo. She, you know that expression when your blood boils? Her face starts to get redder and redder and she starts screaming at him. I can't believe I've had your children. I have sacrificed this body for you and you are calling me fat and you are telling me I am ugly and all you care about is how much I weigh. And if you think we are ever having sex again, you are incorrect. Cut. Okay, what happened, ladies? What happened there? That is such an area of shame for us. So the next slide. Women carry shame in their bodies. Is that right? Culture, trauma, generational curses all affect us. And when is it okay to comment on size or weight? Ladies? Never. I knew the answer to that question. Never. This poor guy, what this couple had to do. So there's anybody who's been married more than a month knows. They're, we're going to hurt each other. We are going to say things. He did not intend that. He grew up with brothers. He literally was that clueless. And God bless her. She did some amazing work. They worked to repair that. She worked to forgive him. They did end up having sex again at some point. I think, I think they did. Um, so I, and let me just say, both of the things that I've talked about with women, what we do to men, and men, what we do to women, those apply for our sons and daughters as well. It is never okay to say to a daughter who's going through puberty, oh, get a little pudgy around the middle. Please don't ever say that. That brings so much shame. If we have gained weight, men, we know it. We know it. We're aware. It's okay. You don't need to point that out. And women, if your husband is trying to, he is doing his best. If your son is trying to do something, he's doing his best. So we do not need to add to the shame that comes culturally. And God gives a scripture, Ephesians 5.33. And this is so simple. But it's so hard to do. However, each one of you, this is to the husbands, must also love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Here's what is true in the next slide. Empathy, kindness. Andrew's been preaching through the fruits of the spirit. Empathy, kindness, and vulnerability are powerful antidotes to shame. So several years ago, I'm going to tell you the story of a session I had. And this woman calls in, sets up an appointment. 
Um, got some depression, got some anxiety, just kind of struggling through a few things. Um, so set up the time. She comes in, she is very precise. You know people like that? Very dressed nicely, perfect hair. She's single, she's a, she's a corporate girl. Comes in, has got her forms all neatly filled out. Hands them to me, I'm looking through. Really nothing in there, just kind of some depression, anxiety. Just, just not, kind of not living her best life, wants some help. So we're doing our little rapport building, um, chatting with her, and I hear distinctly in my spirit, the Lord say, ask her about her abortion. I was like. <laughs> ask her about her abortion. Whew. Really? One more time. Ask her about her abortion. I was like, okay, um, this is weird. I always preface these things with this is weird. Um, And the Lord is wanting me to ask you about your abortion. She gets real quiet. Do I have something on my forehead that marks me? How dare you ask me that? You don't even know me. How dare you ask me a question like that? I cannot believe that is so unprofessional. She gets up, starts to walk out. Then she stops. And she turns to me and she said, oh my gosh. I was praying on the way here that God would show me that you speak to He speaks to you. She comes and sits back down. She starts crying. I start crying. God met us in that office with such kindness, with such gentleness, with such love and compassion. He knew her. He knew every part of her. And he wanted her free. And you know what she did? She asked him, show me this lady hears from you. She had no idea what was going to come out. But why in the world would the Lord do that first session? He doesn't want her to go another day with that shame. He wants that shame done in her life. And we have this weird idea that God is repelled by our shame. Our shame is a magnet to him. He's drawn into our shame. He died for our shame to be destroyed. And I'm telling you, that woman was set free. She was set free. She speaks to other women who've gone through abortions. She volunteers at a pregnancy center. She is set free. You know what she told me at the beginning? I was going to take this to the grave. I said, you know what? It was going to take you to the grave. She's free. You know who she reminds me of? She reminds me of the woman at the well. But let me give you a couple of scriptures first. Psalm. This is, this is what happened even that first day. Those who look to him are radiant. Her face was set free. It was never covered with shame after that. And then Isaiah 61, 7, instead, please know this, instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Yes, instead of disgrace, you will 
Rejoice in your inheritance. What? This is crazy talk. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land. And then what will be yours? Everlasting joy will be yours. Wow. So she reminds me of the woman at the well. And I hate to ever be like, everybody knows the story of the woman at the well because that's a ridiculous thing to say because some people don't. But the woman at the well is a story of Jesus, his encounter with someone um, and changed her life. And here's, as I started thinking about who she would be in today's uh, eyes. So she back then was a Samaritan. She was a woman um, and had a bad past. She was essentially a non-person. Jesus picks a non-person to reveal himself to. So I was thinking, who would she be today? She would be like, Jesus, you know, the disciples are traveling to Littleton. We want to meet Andrew. We want to meet Don. We want to go to PLC. Jesus says, you know, let's stop in the worst part of downtown Denver. They're like, "Uh, we don't really want to go there. Jesus said, there's somebody I need to talk to. He finds a homeless, crack-addicted prostitute. And he sits with her. And he has a conversation with her. Let's pick up this story. John 4, 23. Oh, I'm sorry, John 4, 13. These guys are good. (laughs) They're like, we're on it. She's skipping around, we're on it. Uh, John 4, 23. Jesus replied, so he's talking, he asked her for a drink of water. They're having a little exchange. She, he replies to her, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. He's saying to her, I'm the life. I'm revealing that to you. She says, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband. He goes right to the place of shame and calls it out in her, just like he did in that session with my woman. I don't have a husband. The woman replied, Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for you have had five husbands. You aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, you must be a prophet. He called everything out in her. Did he shame her? No. He looked at her. He saw her. He knew her. She felt that from him. She was changed. Go on to John 4, 23. Now Jesus is saying who he is and what he brings. She's talking about where they have to worship, all the rules and regulations. Here's what Jesus says to her. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. He picks 
a homeless, crack-addicted prostitute in the worst part of Denver to reveal himself to her. She's the first person outside of his disciples that he declared that he was the Messiah. When I have people in session and they're like, I'm too broken. I, I, I can't, God doesn't love me. I've done too many awful bad things. I'm so filled with shame. You're his favorite person. That's who he came for. Was you and me. You can't have too much shame for Jesus. He died for that. The cost was his life and his blood shed for us. The woman left. Hello. (laughs) Where are we? Uh, The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone. Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And let's continue. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. Let me tell you a secret. The reason, I think this is a slide, is it? Yes, this is why the enemy wants you trapped in shame. Do you guys have the slide? (laughs) When you are truly set free from shame, you become, what? An evangelist. Revival breaks out. He knows that when we are set free, I told you guys at the beginning, we are in a prison cell and the enemy is our cellmate. There was a prison break. Jesus came to set us free. God gave me a warning though. He said, you know what you do though? You're free. You're walking around free. The enemy gets in your ear again. You pick up your handcuff and you make an agreement with him. Yeah, that was really bad. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, God can't forgive that. That was too much. Yeah. You put the handcuff back on. Here's what I would say to you. God finished it. You do it. You take that handcuff off. You realize I'm handcuffed. I'm handcuffed. I'm I'm handcuffed to nothing. And you know what he tells us to do? Run, run, run and tell. Run and tell your village. Run and tell your family. Run and tell 
about the man who told you everything you ever did. Run, run, let revival break out. So I talked about shame, Satan's harassment at my expense. Here's another thing that God shared with me, Grace, and you've heard this probably, God's redemption at Christ's expense. Let me tell you who God is in case you haven't heard through this whole message. Here's a beautiful scripture, and I know you love this scripture. Zephaniah 3, 17. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. And I thought about that. I have a little grandson who's 18 months old. His name is Asher David. He's adorable. When I watch him, sometimes I have to put him to bed. And you know what I do before I put him to bed? I rock him. And I sing over him. That's who our father is. He sings over you. Would you pray with me, Lord? Thank you for this vision of who you are. Thank you for your outlandish love for us. Thank you that you are drawn into the darkest, ugliest places of us, not to shame us, but to free us. Thank you that it was done, it was finished at the cross. And Lord, if there is anyone here right now who has not received that saving grace, I pray, Lord Jesus, you would knock on the door of their heart and maybe pound on it. And I pray that you, as someone who God is pounding at your door, raise up your hand with that handcuff on it and let him take it off once and for all. Lord, would you draw us near to you? Would you be so real to us that we are forever changed? We thank you, Jesus, for who you are. It is in your mighty name we proclaim all these things. Amen and amen.